Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. Hey, kia ora katoa, everyone. If you don't know me, uh, my name is Calvin. Uh, I'm the associate uh, pastor here at Shaw Church. It's just wonderful to be together doing church today. And like Vic was saying, well done to those of you who made it out uh, on the long weekend. Um, <clears throat> also, as, as Vic just mentioned, we are just in the second week of our Blessed series. Um, if, you, if you're visiting for the first time, we're working our way through uh, the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, verses 1 through to 11. And really, I, I think the, the special thing about this is, is we're looking to really highlight the, the paradoxical nature of the kingdom of God. We're looking to really press into this thing. Jesus sort of uses, um, uses these Beatitudes to set up and frame the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, which is really just this like way of, of turning everything, the whole world that people knew, turning it on its head and saying, hey, the way that you think things work or the way you thinks, think things should work, it actually, it, it actually functions as it's meant to when we flip that thing right upside down. And so there's this description of how life is supposed to look like. Uh, Jacques Philippe, uh, who, who has written a book called uh, Eight Gateways to the Kingdom, says this, the Beatitudes are a description of this new heart that the Holy Spirit fashions in us, which itself is the very heart of Christ, which I think is just beautiful. You know, we are, we're looking to press into uh, the heart of Christ and to unlock something of that heart. Uh, in our own lives as well. And so I think that's really beautiful. Um, today, we are going to be working our, uh, working our way through the first beatitude. And so just before I do that, I'd love to just invite you to, to pray with me. And we're just going to sort of open ourselves um, up, to, up to the scripture and uh, up to what, what God might have in store for us. So Holy Spirit, as we've sung, we welcome you. We turn our attention and our affection towards you. We ask that you would draw near. Would you surround us with your love? in your grace, in your peace. Draw near and hold us. And Lord, I just so love that when we, when we press into the Beatitudes, we are, we are pressing into something that takes us even deeper into your story, deeper into the thing that you are doing within your creation, deeper into the thing that you are doing with all of humanity. So Holy Spirit, do a good work in us this morning, I pray. Teach us things, reveal things to us, but mostly draw us closer to you. Amen. So the first beatitude goes a little something like this. And he, being Jesus, opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Greek text reads this, tokos tonuma, which means, literally translates to poor in the spirit. Um, depending on which other translations you look at, we can kind of expand that a little bit. Um, it it could be translated to uh, happy are those who have the heart of a poor one and happy are those uh, with the soul of a poor one. Now, I'm, I'm going to... I'm just going to be honest a little bit. I've always, I've always found it really interesting that in Luke's version of this event, he just kicks off by saying, blessed are the poor. 
No, in the spirit, just blessed are the poor. And in Matthew's version, he kicks off by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. And I'm like, well, what's going on there? So I sort of know contextually Luke's writing to poorer Gentiles. Matthew's writing to more affluent Jewish culture. And there's a whole bunch of things going on there. But really, as I've even just pressed into this this week, I've, I've loved that thing of, like, of, of this movement towards um, the heart of the poor. And so when we think of the poor, we're thinking of those who have need, those who lack some things, those who require assistance. There's this movement towards the heart of the poor. You know, N.T. Wright, uh, Wright says this, um, blessing is not primarily about what God promises to do to someone. It's about primarily about what God is going to do through someone. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, when God sets up his sovereign rule on earth as in heaven, it is the poor in spirit through whom he will do it. So God is looking for those with, with a heart that is needing, with a heart that is lacking, that feels some sense of like disconnection, a heart that feels like it, it, it can't provide for itself or it can't do everything. That is the thing God is looking for because it is through that that God can begin to work, that the kingdom of God can begin to be revealed um, to the world around us. That is the thing that God is looking for. It's this spiritual poverty. So it's physical poverty, yes, but a spiritual poverty that God is looking for. And so it is this, it is to adopt that heart of the poor, to embody that place of need, lacking, longing, to embody that sense of like, I just don't think I can, I can do this. And I think there's something about this posture, this way of being that moves us towards a form of freedom almost. It's the freedom to receive everything freely, but also the freedom to give everything freely. Poverty of heart, then, is the freedom that is present in receiving everything freely and of giving everything freely, setting aside ego with all of its pretensions and its demands. It means dying to self. It means this radical detachment that leads us towards the perfect transparency of God's actions and to the joy of giving and receiving freely. You know, I think that there are some fantastic models in Scripture or stories in Scripture that we can look to. Um, and I want to take us into Luke's gospel for a little bit this morning as we, as we look at this sort of embracing of this, the, the spiritually impoverished heart. Um, and so we're going to be working uh, in chapters 18 and 19. So if you've got your physical Bibles with you or if you've got your digital ones in your phones, you can turn to that as well. So we're going to start with Luke 18. There's a story, um, there's a story uh, in chapter 18, verses 18 through to 23. And it goes like this. Uh, a young ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And this man responded by saying, all of these I have kept from my, from my youth. All my life I have done all these things. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. So we have this, we have this individual who has some sort of status within society, very wealthy, has some sort of place of influence. He comes before Jesus and he says, hey, I've, I've, I think I've kind of kept the rules, you know, and I've done it my whole life. Um, but what do I really need to do to like inherit eternal life? What do I need to do to see the kingdom of God? 
What do I, what do I really need to do to tap into that? And so Jesus, Jesus says, well, it really is simple. Like, you've, you've got so much of your identity tied up in your things and in your stuff, in your money. All of your value is in what you have. This is where your identity is coming from. So if you can get rid of that, and you could then, only when you get rid of that, are you able to come and follow me? Then you will come and discover the things of the kingdom. And it just says that, that this guy ends up leaving, and he's just overwhelmed with sadness. It's like, I, I can't separate myself from these things. And then what's really interesting in, in Luke is just, just one chapter later. Remember, Luke didn't write in chapters, so it's like, it's just this one continual letter, this one continual story. Luke contrasts the story with the story of another wealthy young man of sort of position within society. And this guy's name is Zacchaeus. Oh, I don't know how young he was, sorry, but another wealthy man. And <clears throat> in Luke 19, verses 1 to 10, uh, we see this, this encounter happen as Jesus enters Jericho. So Jesus enters Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore fig tree to see him, um, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. What an interesting story. We once again have a man of, of sort of um, uh, social position and of wealth who has acquired things. He, he's not particularly liked by those around him. You know, he's, the way he's kind of done his dealings has been particularly dishonest. But there is an urgency and a desire and a longing that we see in the person of Zacchaeus. Like, I need, to see, I need to see Jesus. So it's like, it's not enough to just be in the crowd, but it's like, no, I need to be able to see him. And so he, he climbs up this tree. And then when Jesus spots him and says, come down from the tree, I, I love that where it just talks about like, it talks about hurry, hurrying, you know, it's like there's an urgency. It's like I've got to get to, to Jesus. And it's like there's this little moment of acknowledgement and of hospitality and of invitation. And Zacchaeus is like, I just want to move towards Christ. I just want to go and be where Jesus is. I just want to go and be with this thing. And it's like, it's like instantly just this moment, a little moment of relationship. It's like whatever Jesus has for me, I want to listen to that. And so you just see this like response off the bat, right? This sort of outpouring or this embracing of this heart. It's like all of a sudden those things that Zacchaeus has, they don't mean anything anymore. It's like, oh, well, I'll, I'll give away half of everything. I'll, I'll, I'll give it away. And if I have done wrong by anyone, he says, I will give back fourfold. So if all of his money has come through dishonest means, he's going to give away four times what he has, like that doesn't make sense, but he's like, I will give out of myself to the point of poverty. I will embrace all of poverty if I have done wrong by anyone. If I, if I have hurt anyone, I will, that's what I'm willing to do, to, to step into this thing, to embrace this kingdom story, to, to be a part of your, of your thing, Jesus. I want to be a part of that thing. 
So Zacchaeus in this moment discovers uh, something of uh, a a, a spiritual poverty, an impoverished spiritual heart going, I I want to, to have these things, to embody these things. It's like Zacchaeus discovers a humility. Because I think, I think really that's what we're beginning to talk about here. Zacchaeus embraces poverty and moves toward humility after this encounter of hospitality and invitation from Christ. You know, humility is just like one of, my, one of the most beautiful words to me in the scriptures. Um, in the Greek, it translates to the word topinos. And I remember years ago, like stumbling across this in a study and just being totally floored by it. The idea of tapinos is, is a lowliness. It's adopting a low posture. Um, it, it, it involves getting into the dust, making yourself as low as the dust. Um, there's, there's a sense of like making yourself available to be shaped and molded into what God desires. I love the picture in Genesis, where what does God do? How does he create humanity? He takes the dust, he shapes it, and then he breathes life into it. And there's almost this, like for me, this, this, this poetic uh, posture of humility, where it's like, I make myself into the dust again, in order, Lord, that you might be able to shape me into the thing that you want me to be. To shape me to do the things that you want me to do to shape me to say the things that you want me to say, to go where you want me to go. There's this, there's this submission of self, Lord, I'm yours. It's this acknowledgement of completely and utterly needing and longing for what God has. This is the spiritual poverty that Jesus is talking about in his first beatitude. It's an embracing of humility. Jacques Philippe, Um, goes on to say this about humility. Humility is essential because it is both uh, a sign and a condition of all authentic love. To love is to leave behind any pretensions of self-sufficiency, to leave behind all, all arrogance, all domination, all possessiveness, all superiority, all while making oneself small before the other and embracing the other in his or her poverty and weakness. No love is true and durable except that between two poor hearts. The rich are forever in competition. Only the poor of heart know how to love and to embrace each other reciprocally. God made himself poor because he is love. I think that that is absolutely beautiful. Humility, this embracing of lowliness, this, this making ourselves available to God to be shaped, to go and use, uh, you know, this whole idea of like, God, just go and use me. Let me be spare change in your pocket. And you know, humility, God's, God's awareness uh, um, and longing to see humble hearts is just sort of littered all through Scripture, right through the whole, whole Old Testament. And it's almost like you see this idea of humility and of, and of uh, poverty uh, almost inter, uh, interchangeable as you look through uh, all the Scriptures. And so ju- to just fire through a few, um, just to kind of show you. Uh, Isaiah 66, 1-2 says this, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is, hum- he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. He who is humble, that is what God is looking for. Psalm 25, 9, He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. Uh, Psalm 113, 7 to 8. 
He raises the poor from the dust, right? Once again, coming back to that, that, that story of the dust, and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. And then we see this carrying on. So all through the prophets, all through the Psalms, we see this idea coming through. And then all into the New Testament, we see it flowing as well. And then there's this whole simple thing of James 14 where he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. He will lift you up. He will shape you and use you. This humility is something to be embraced, to, to pursue. And so what happens as we embrace and adopt this posture of humility? Well, the first thing I think that happens is is we are completely unburdened uh, from ourselves. The poverty of not being masters of our own lives is hard to bear, but it calls us to a purer hope, one without human support. Little by little, uh, humility engenders patience, meekness, and it creates the desire that one day um, fulfillment will come. There's this, there's this real trust that kind of comes. It's like, I don't need these things anymore. It's like, I've long been really fascinated. Just the other week, I was, I was talking about um, the sort of fascination I have with sneakers. And it's like, you know, like I just, every, honestly, it's, it's just, it's this thing where I'll end up online and I'll see a new pair of sneakers that's been released and I'll be like, I've got to have those. They'll, hap- they'll make me happy. They'll make me feel fulfilled, right? And it's like, you, and, you, and I, I, when you want something new, you kind of you really go after it, you know? And then suddenly you get the sneakers, and it's like, and it's true. I was just happy forever after my new sneakers. <laughs> Guys, we all, we all know that experience, right? And it happens in every area of our lives. Like, Georgia and I have just been through the process of, like, of buying a new home. And it's like, and that's so exciting, you know, the whole exciting and stressful and all that kind of stuff, right? But it's like selling our home, we're going to get something bigger, and it's going to have a bigger yard for the dog and for our, for our kid that we're about to have, and all this kind of stuff, you know, all very exciting. And then, you know, we get into our home, and we set it up, our new home, and we set it all up, and I'm like, this is just my home now. You know, like, it's, there's that pursuit of the next thing. And our entire cultural system is, is, is built on that. Like, that, that pursuit of the next. You know, in the 60s, there was the shift in advertising where, the, where basically the focus became, like, how do we make things that are consumable um, things that people desperately need? Well, I think so, yeah. How do we make the things that people just want to being things that people need? It was literally like the shift in approach. And so that's the story that is just told to us over and over again. This thing will bring you happiness. It's like, man, I've got to have that burger and that car and that cell phone and that T-shirt and that and that and that and that and that. And that you know, like that is, the, that is the, the hamster wheel that we are on. And what these scriptures and these stories show us, and particularly we see it in the rich young man, it's like it, this has always been something that humans will struggle with. It's like we find, we find our identity in our, in our stuff. We find our identity in what we do. But the paradoxical nature of the kingdom of God, the thing that Jesus is getting to from the very beginning, right from the start of his message, is that now nah, this whole thing gets flipped upside down. It's only when you, when you leave behind all of that stuff that you discover what life is really about that you discover the life God intended. 
So there is an embracing of poverty. We have to, we have to move on from ourselves, from the things that we, we find ourselves shaped by. And so when we embrace humility, when we move towards that, that sort of spiritual poverty, we find ourselves completely unburdened from ourselves. We also become, oh, that's not working all of a sudden. Um, <clears throat> we also become completely open to the other. You with me, Makarita? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we also become completely open to the other. So suddenly it's like, it's like you know, if, we, if we're looking down all the time and we're just so obsessed with the things that are happening in our own lives, and it's all of a sudden, it's like when we don't have that anymore, we're able to lift up our eyes and we're able to see the need that exists around us. And not just like need of like, what money can I give you or whatever, but just like, oh man, are you doing okay? Or oh, I heard about what happened to your friend or to your parent or would you like me to make time for you? So suddenly we become so much more open-handed. We become, we become generous with all of ourselves, not just with what's in our wallets, but with all, all of ourselves, all that we have to give. But it's only through that posture of, of embracing humility, of making ourselves available, of, of letting those other things that define us go. And it just allows us to be in a place where we can just say, here I am. And to be able to say before other people, here I am, to open ourselves to that. So we are opened to the other. And then finally, we, when we embrace this humility, when we move towards it, we find that we are nourished by a loving God. And this is the promise of the beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. It's like when we, when we, when we stop trying to fulfill everything on our own terms, when we stop trying to define ourselves by what we have and what we do, when we let those things go, we will find that all of our need, all of our longing is, is met in the person of Christ, is met in God. And so the first beatitude, it, it undercuts the predominant worldview that assumes that material blessings are a sign of God's approval in one's life and that they automatically flow from one's spiritual blessings. Instead, what Jesus is doing here is he's teaching that the norm of the kingdom of heaven is spiritual bankruptcy. Unlike the spiritual self-sufficiency that was characteristic of the religious leaders, Jesus' disciples, the people that he is, is calling out to, inviting um, others into a life, the, the followers of Jesus will experience their most complete personal fulfillment as they draw on the resources of the kingdom of heaven to guide their lives as they draw on the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And I love that Therese de la says this. She says, um, the poorer, do not fear, the poorer you are, the more Jesus will love you. And just that sense of this, this, this ongoing movement towards humility, the more we just sort of let go of the things that in our lives that we let define us or that we become obsessed by, the more we're able to kind of let those things go and fall by the wayside the more we will be aware of who we are in God, the more we will be aware of God's love for us and his closeness to us and his leading and his prompting in our lives, 
the, so the more we're able to kind of let go, the more we become aware of that reality. And so this is the thing Jesus gets to the heart of, right off the bat of his um, Sermon on the Mount message. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are able to embody a spiritual poverty, who are able to, to, to stand in solidarity with the experience of the, the physical poor that they see around them, to adopt and to hold that heart. It's people like that that will see the kingdom of God. And not just get something later, but participate in the activity of the kingdom of God now. That is what Jesus is talking about. And so I want to invite you to stand with me because we're, we're going we're gonna to finish with communion. But I just want to just give a, a little bit of space before we move to the communion table. Because here's the thing, when we think about humility, when we think about this idea of tapainos, of allowing ourselves to, to be like the dust in order that God might shape us, it's in that posture and in that place that perhaps communion takes on a, on a slightly different message or a slightly different feeling for us this morning. Perhaps this morning as we take communion, it's, it's not just a reminder of who God is. It's not just a reminder of what Jesus has done. It's not just a ritual that we do because it's the last Sunday of the month. Now, but what if, what if the communion is the meal that we come to spiritually impoverished? We arrive at the table longing to be fed, longing to be provided for. And the participation in communion, the, the taking of this meal, is the reminder that this is a God who provides and who nourishes and who fulfills. Who when we turn to him and when we, when we embrace this life, we discover all of what this, meant, this life was meant to be, what it was always meant to be. We discover and embrace the richness of walking in relationship with God and relationship with others. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.